work week, am I right? But do you know what would make it a little bit better? Doing church on a Sunday and then listening to a podcast about the sermon. Welcome to the Post-Sunday Blues, a preaching post-mortem, a production of Liberty Church Collingswood. Each week we'll spend some time unpacking Sunday sermonics, and we hope that you'll be able to connect a little deeper with the message and the messenger. It's a win, if we can make your work week a little less blue. House lights down. Welcome to the Post-Sunday Blues, a preaching post-mortem, where I Mm. um, get to sit in front of my husband, Jim Anger, and um, interrogate him and kind of unpack the sermon from the day before, the weekend before. That's right. And usually we, re- we record on a Tuesday. We're actually recording on a Monday for scheduling reasons on our end this week. So really it is Monday morning. I know. The Blue f- Monday. The original uh, title of this podcast was a Monday reference, right? I it was Blue Monday, Fats Domino's song, because... Okay. Stereotypically, preachers are just kind of eoring down yeah, and in the and dumps you on Monday. Actually, take Mondays off, and I was like, "You I know. want to podcast? Like, I'm usually not even allowed to like mention anything church related on Monday." That's right. I'd prefer that you not <laughs> talk about the sermon. That's like, I'm not. It's not an allowed thing. I anyway. <laughs> you have a preference, a strong preference, that I don't talk to you about church on Sunday, on Monday. That so is we absolutely save it till true. Tuesday. So I was right. like, we can't call it. You can't call it Monday because we're not going to be record. A lot of times, you're not going to want to record on Monday. Anyway, yep. that was the inner working of the title of this podcast. Um, Blue Monday would have been a great title as well. Right. Not sure and we could have licensed Fats Domino though. <laughs> and I think, unlike how we license yeah, the songs we use, so. Blue Monday is also not quite as um, uh, SEO friendly. As the post Sunday blues, I think the post Sunday blues didn't have anything come up when I was trying to Google. Oh, nice! Before people say that I'm an intuitive SEO sort of person. Are you though? Yes. <laughs> like the name of the business you were, you wanted me to name my business. <laughs> so Emily's photography business is called June Day Photography. I was suggesting the name Bread and Circus Photography. Email in to postsundayblues at gmail dot com. Yeah. If you know we, that reference, we can um. We can talk through that one a different time. This is not the let's dive down and do the postmortem on this is your photography my postmortem. <laughs> let's let's talk to you, um, Jim Anger. Uh, this past Sunday, you uh, you talked. You started off by talking about how you talk a lot. That is <laughs> through the years. That is a feature of my existence. Yes, I thought that was funny because, like, the true you does actually not talk a lot. <laughs> I have found <laughs> that no, that's true. So fun days for me are are days where, and then when you're occasionally out of town or with the kids, I'll go whole days without saying a word to another person, and it, it is, is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> it, it is like this weird irony that sometimes people have a skill set that um, that you are into, like all this useless beauty. Mm. <laughs> you have a you have a skill set with words for sure more than I do, but. You're not a verbal processor, so you're not processing as you're speaking the words. You're just like communicating as you're speaking the words. So when you right, I'm I'm not an external verbal verbal processor. Right. So there's stuff going on in your brain that you'd prefer to process in your brain and not process in yourself. That's why I get this job of trying to (laughs) excavate everything. I have that job in my marriage. Like a Roman ruin. (laughs) Um, You are the chief. Excavating officer. Right, but yeah, that was a fun, that CEO. was a fun um, intro. I 
I thought. But let's get into Call It Stormy Monday. Wait, did, uh, you mean that the intro we just did was fun? Was that like a no, self-compliment? No, like compliment. Oh, okay. <laughs> the intro of your sermon, like I thought. Well, I think both are nice good. retrospective. Um, can I go? Can I move on? Just call it Stormy Monday. It is kind what of it is. Stormy, not really. But um, this sermon, this Sunday, and jumping jumping into like some harder, heavier stuff this week. Can you tell me about the background of that? Yes. So planning out the sermon series from this summer, I knew that I wanted to tackle, and I think we've been talking a fair amount about why we've been wanting to tackle some more topical issues, and we'll talk more about why to tackle as we get into this podcast too, but as I was mapping out the sermon series, taking a smaller sermon text, relatively only two verses, Genesis 1, 26 and 27, but then being able to sort of park here, and we're going to park here for two weeks, to really unpack the image of God, not only what it meant in its original contexts, but I think it has huge implications for today in multiple directions. Right, and I I think that I mean, I know from the background some of what is going on in your in your heart as you like approach this sermon. Process. <laughs> I'm I'm just intuiting it, so now I'm trying to tease it out. Um, as you're addressing topics that um, that are more difficult, I think you kind of put yourself. You were saying at one point that you're neither a priest nor a not a politician, not a, politician. a priest. So you're not trying to speak with authority on things and in the past you have viewed them as things that you didn't approach um, from the pulpit. So what is going on that's different? Like what is the burden that's specific to this context right now? I think everything is politicized and therefore discipleship's happening all over the place. A book that I'll be referencing in two weeks by a church historian and just historian, historian named Carl Truman, The Triumph of the Self. He talks about how everything now is politicized. And what he means by that, on the surface, that's not a super interesting comment, but he unpacks it in the direction to say that if something is made political by one group, it becomes political for all groups, because not to have an opinion is to take a side at this point. And so I just want people to have more biblical furniture in place, whether or not they agree or disagree with the topics that I talked about yesterday or coming up. But I at least want them to see, hey, the Bible does come to bear on these things. And if if we're sensing that people are walking away from the faith because it just seems irrelevant and doesn't speak to the modern world, one layer is it disagrees with things that I really agree with in the modern world. But then another level is it's just irrelevant and doesn't really scratch the itch of where my mental space and where my living and where my life is. So I want to broaden the scope of my preaching ministry to try to show that there is a broader foundation that the scriptures give to us and let's be discipled by these things. Yeah. Um, and it's just more positively or like, what are you excited to see God do with that? Like, what are, what's the energizing part here? Or is there one like... Well, it's a both and. I was I was really nervous going into the sermon, and I'm nervous about this whole sermon series. So I'm I'm probably more excited this fall for this sermon series than I have been for a while in my preaching. But I'm also more nervous than I have been right. just just because we're going to places where typically I didn't feel like it was necessary to go. I feel like it is necessary to to go there now. And as talking specifically about how the image of God affects 
how we should be anti-racists, stand against race, against racism right. and against abortion, specifically with the latter. I, I feel the weight of speaking into a context where even locally here in Collingswood and surrounding boroughs, a secular progressive area, what I was saying, I think, was would, would be considered, if not these words, but the concept secular heresy. Right. And, you know, I'm not trying to pick fights with anybody. I'm not trying to join the culture, culture wars as a culture warrior. Uh, but, yeah, let's unfold the scriptures and see what they say, because these are literally life and death issues. Sure. And that's, uh, I, I think the structure of this was really interesting. And you're, you're mentioning the Bible passage is central to this mm -hmm. and central to like your, I think the, what you're trying to say is like, what is scripture teaching us about these issues? Yeah. So like moving into sun studios and how the sermon got made, mm -hmm. um, the presence of the Lord section where we, right. where we like kind of dig into the passage itself. Um, what was, I, I did, appreciate personally the the structure of kind of covering your not covering your bases but trying to give a pretty nuanced uh, articulation about um, the things that this passage hits mm -hmm. so you weren't just trying to address racism you weren't just trying to address um, abortion um, you're trying to tease out the underlying underlining philosophy or meaning or theology mm -hmm. or right. um, scripture in it and like and and then showing the the uh, ramifications for a lot of different people or a lot of different topics. Correct. So the image of God, the imago dei, front and center in this passage. You know, taking a smaller passage so we could really focus on it. I'll say positively here. Um, as I've been working on the sermon for the past couple of weeks, I've, I've been reburdened by the beauty of the whole concept and idea and reality that we are made in the image of God. Right. I think there is profound beauty to be found in that concept. And not only as it relates to racism and abortion, but, but it relates to a ton of different things. And yeah, this was an exercise of faith for me to trust that, God is real, that we truly are created in the image of God. And because at the end of the day, being created in the image of God is not bad news or problematic news. It's good news. Right. So let's live out how God has created us. Right. And you were, um, I, in my notes, I'm writing about how you were talking about the um, exceptionalism of humans and how... Human exceptionalism, yeah. Uh, how secular philosophers and scientists... Um, are trying to say that humans are not exceptional, that we're part of the um, environment and we're part of the, yep. uh, the just the creatures of the earth um, yeah. and how that stands in contrast to um, the creation narrative in, in this passage. Yep. Um, you were saying like three times God's... What Can you explain that term again? The Barak, I think? Barak. Barak. How do you spell so, that? Thanks, Obama. But <laughs> Barack. <laughs> but Barack. It's translated, it's trans, transliterated in English as B-A-R-A. -A. So yeah, I tried to spend a little bit of time highlighting the fact that this passage is highlighting the fact that we are created in the image of God. And so I talked about how the word creation, big C creation, bara, is used only of God in all of the Old Testament, all of the Hebrew scriptures, 
once Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created, because only God does a capital C creating. One other time so far with the creation of the sea monsters that we talked about last week. But then there's a clustering in verse 27 of Genesis 1, three times God created, God created, God created human beings in the image of God, just to say that this really is a climactic moment in creation. And let's just own it and be grateful for it that we are the crowning act of God's creative powers and energy. Right. Um, and I am kind of working a little bit backwards this yep. way, but you were using that to highlight um, this situation in which you felt like you had made a giant error in your in your preaching. Um, yeah. And then the, the course correction of the next time you spoke to a, a black uh, congregation. Yeah. Um, and I have been with you through the many times where you've been talking. Um, <laughs> I think once... You've seen me through the phases. Yeah, I've been trying to think. It would be hard to be married to someone who, where I didn't appreciate their speaking. <laughs> but you that, have had that, many that different phases. That is pastor's purgatory worry. Right. You have had many phases. I can't criticize. I like my spouse like, and everything, but I die a little bit inside every Sunday yesterday morning. Yesterday, we were playing this game called Utter Nonsense with our daughter. And yes. it's one in which, like, you say different phrases and you have to, like, imitate, um, I don't know, Donald Trump, Arnold Schwarzenegger, like... Yeah, uh, I, felt, I felt like I should have won that game. Valley, I was being low-balled. Valley girl. You were being, uh, being overkind to our daughter. I was. I was probably doing that on purpose to, <laughs> just to make you not win. <laughs> I'm the one that, that soft pedals with our kids in games, not you. Um, it wasn't really soft pedaling towards Claire. It was more hardballing my husband. I, I respect that. <laughs> Touche. Um, I will fully admit that I am not somebody who's good at imitating things. But um, I have seen you like go through the years of like <laughs> trying to put on different pastoral voices. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Blankly again. I wonder if I could find some it's of those cassettes. Like, Did you literally? Why is Jim preaching with an English accent? <laughs> it's because I've been listening to John Stott. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> do you, did you really literally throw away the cassettes from West Philly? I did. <laughs> <laughs> They're not in th some thrift store somewhere and the Goodwill and Overbrook. No, it, it, it was a low moment. Our first church closed. I was feeling really bad about it. So I just. They're gone put it in the diaper mm. pail and kicked it to the curb. Do you know where our wedding tape went? <laughs> Did anyone videotape? Did we even have videotape back then? Luckily, that would be a deep cut. Yeah, your right memory there. works so well. What was your uh, the highlight of your preaching in, in West Philly? <laughs> <sighs> okay, I'm getting deep size. I probably... <laughs> First church in West Philly... I, I went through a shouting phase, yeah. and there were a couple different preachers that that were shouters, and so deep into the summer when it was I super mean, hot. I in, mean, in your defense, West Philly is kind of a shouting place. Like, <laughs> I didn't find it particularly <laughs> out of place. Oh, man. Yeah, no, I definitely had the, Jim, why are you so angry all the time? <laughs> because Philadelphia you, is angry. <laughs> you, you preach like your name. <laughs> um, Philadelphia is an angry context, I feel like. Especially West Philly. I mean, we're not angry. You're just speaking the truth. Yeah, well, whether then or now, it's it's my goal to reflect on my preaching the gritty blue-collar nature of our region. Yeah, speaking of gritty, like, <laughs> authenticity driver of me, Emily, the Eddie 4, really likes West Philly. Like, I, so I. I like that people can say 
say things like they're actually feeling. That's the <laughs> that's the spirit of Philadelphia that I love. Anyway, um, just that's all context for saying like you. I've heard you speaking throughout the years. Mm-hmm. I don't a hundred percent remember the provision story. Um, as you, it came, you, you you weren't there. Yeah, you probably didn't <laughs> debrief it with me. No, I think that was a self-serving act of self-editing. Yeah. That so I may do you want to have... talk about that contrast a little bit, and then how you? I guess the for me, it's like I think it was a clarifying uh, contrast, and then talking about how um, how racism now connects to this passage, mm-hmm. um, because in light of those two illustrations, like. Just summarizing again, I don't know. Yeah. People who've listened to the sermon, I apologize if you feel like this is overkill, but I just found it clarifying. Yeah, so I was preaching at a student ministry organization my senior year called Provision, which was primarily for African-American and black students at our college, and I just laid into sin and said over and over again in different ways from the Westminster Shorter Catechism that we're miserable sinners, deserve nothing, and I remember afterwards to hear coming up to me and saying like that that really hurt um and i i didn't ask why it hurt so much and i doubled down on my tone deafness and said well you need to believe the bible more i'm just speaking biblical truth here right Uh, which yeah i definitely like even now my pulse just raised a little bit thinking about that but then it was going to seminary, having a couple of black professors living in West Philly and preaching in different contexts, that it was explained to me that as people of color here, white preachers talk about how miserable and undeserving we are. That can sound like and attach itself to what white supremacy has been saying for a long time, mm-hmm. what, what uh, uh, oppression and you know, exploitation. And so make sure that you differentiate what the Bible says about all of us being fallen and and harmed by sin, but then uh, nuance that to say that this is not intended to fit into narratives of racism under right. which you've suffered for a long time. And instead, root sin in the image of God and sin from Gardner Taylor, a preacher, black preacher in Brooklyn for a lot of years, sin is being disloyal to the royal. So sin is not just an act of wrong, but it's an act of tragedy because we are of supreme value. And yeah, this passage isn't directly speaking to racism. So it's another one of those switching out the cartridges a little bit. But I think loud and clear, it has huge implications because even when the language isn't used, the basic humanness of people that don't look like us is precisely what's been called into question with our history of racism. Right. And I I thought it was, or it's important and good, like you were also teasing out like that one of the uh, deepest sadnesses for you is when somebody won't even talk about racism because they just think it has been overplayed or I, I don't even know why. Yeah. Um, but just like that was you in college when you were hearing someone respond kind of directly to saying, hey, I don't like the way that you shared didn't yeah. feel right. Um, you just weren't able to listen at that point. But I think that's part of why immersing yourself and trying to listen and trying to hear somebody else's pain, like maybe there's not intentionality in the actions that you have or the, mm-hmm. the words that you speak. But 
if you're hurting somebody else or someone else is hurting, trying to figure out why um, seems really connected to like all of us being created in God's image and all right. of us being important and, mm -hmm. and um, exceptional and equal. Yeah. So I could, I can definitely like um, appreciate that path, that pathway. Yeah. And so part of my being a discipleship or being a disciple of Jesus over the years has been before I was a Christian, I was not sympathetic to uh, questions of racism. So I was in the category of like, this is overblown. Why are we even talking about this? Why can't we just get on with our lives? So in my Christian experience, a deeper understanding of the gospel has, has led me to change some of these views and, in my opinion, be discipled by scripture in some pretty substantial ways. Right. Um, and I, I guess that's, to me, that's important when we're dealing with these concepts, when maybe innately we have um, ideas about something and just trying to listen to the other side, not saying that you definitely change to mm -hmm. the other side, but listening to the other side, yep. um, trying to explore scripture and... Um, pray and let the Holy Spirit work in you as you're reading about these things or thinking about these things, like just kind of just listening for hurt and listening for another person's perspective mm -hmm. seems important. Um, and then, yeah, so y I, I know that the abortion aspect was also really challenging mm -hmm. for you as you, as you kind of moved. I, and again, I appreciate the structure of talking about racism um, first to not just make this like, I don't know. You might as well hit all sides of the political. <laughs> this is back to your apologetics of the third way. Like oh. you're not, you are um, not neither talking about like just progressives or just conservatives, right? Um, and the aspects of their um, their I don't know. I'm, well, let's let, let's for? pause to observe that you ridicule my categories and then you begin to use them. <laughs> this is, this is wait, me wait, winning oh, the long I'm game not, right now. I am not ridiculing your category. It's the title, the third way title. Same it's diff. It's like post-Sunday blues, the title. Actually, that that one's okay, but the, um, I well, don't know. Yeah, I enjoy you. Call it Stormy Monday. I enjoy you days. talking about the Via Tertia. That's good. <laughs> Speaking of structure, where, where are we? Uh, we're still in Sun Studios. Did you want to move on? No. <laughs> I mean, it kind of like muddying the water. I feel like muddy. So this is back to titles. If we want yeah. to like just debate that. Like, I don't feel like it. Like t presence of the Lord and examining scripture. When mm -hmm. you're saying, what did you find interesting or challenging? Right. And then muddying the waters. What was fun or difficult about constructing the ser sermon? What context were you trying to engage? Yeah. I mean, that's the same thing. <laughs> Let, let the listener understand. I see a very clear and logical sequence of categories there. I don't there know. Right in. Like, do these and topic like the, and like what what do blues songs have to do with like a post mortem of your sermon? Okay, we're not deconstructing this podcast. We're deconstructing <laughs> other things. So you well, asked, where are we? Let me so say, where real, are we? What, what do you so want to, to talk about? To round out the presence of the Lord, real quick, before we <laughs> keep going into these con contextual questions couple quick things i forgot to mention during the sermon so i tried to say that there are different tells uh, in genesis 127 that that set off and highlight how the image of god is really a big deal uh, god deliberates let us make man in our own image there's a clustering of create this is last god alone 
works in dialogue with human beings, dialogue and engages them. Also, last thing that I was in my notes, but it slipped my mind to say in the moment, this is the first poetry in the Bible, Genesis 127. Mm. So, and it's more clear in the, it's more clear in the original than, than it is in, in English, but like English Bibles will typically, you know, if you look at Psalms, there is a different set of like spacing and formatting for Psalms and like Old Testament history, right. because they're poem. trying to reflect in the, that in the original language is their poetry. So Genesis 127 about human beings created in God's image typically is formatted like a Psalm to reflect that this is poetry in the first poetry in the scriptures. And what a coincidence, even if it's not a coincidence, that the first poetry in scripture is related to our being in the image of God. So prose can't contain us. We need to burst into song. I was going to say a joke that this is the, between verse 26, the prose and the poetry, it's like you're at a Broadway show and the music is starting to play as it goes into verse 27. I, I missed out on a cheap laugh there. Did you get any cheap laughs? Those are the best kind. <laughs> um, Wrote a blog you, post about you, the comic zone. Have you read? Have you written poetry before? Yes, I had a poem published in a literary magazine called The Bell, which was the literary magazine of my <laughs> high school. Uh, it, it it was senior year. It was written in. As a Shakespearean, it, it was written in sonnet form. I didn't use Shakespearean language, but I was observing the juxtaposition of mundane existence with punctuated points of beauty. The last line of the sonnet concluded with a clock ticks on the shelf. <laughs> There's I'm your answer. I'm laughing, but yeah, I wonder... I. It was a really good poem. I think that you should it was great. Consider writing a poem on your next vacation. Well, once <laughs> we are taking a vacation this coming week, here's a promise: next sermon will be an all in haiku. <laughs> Just one haiku. Right. <laughs> that might be celebrated. Well, they say they talk. say preaching shorter takes more energy and time I than preaching like longer. It, I so, feel like it might. yeah. Jim well, preaching in haiku. It'll certainly be I mean, that, that, to that's 50 hours right there to prepare that. <laughs> <laughs> it would be easier to memorize. Um, I had one job. Okay, moving on. I've lost our place too. Uh, Last thing, Sun Studios, real quick, baby. Okay. This also is an interesting exercise for, for those that are interested in questions of interpretation, of keeping the main thing the main thing. You know, I preach for about a half an hour or so. These sermons are actually getting a little bit longer, this series. That, that's by design for a couple different reasons. But there are, are a couple of things in the passage that I deliberately chose not to go into. Mm -hmm. One, the let us make man in our own image. Right. In the Christian circles, trendy. yeah, is that like an indication of plurality within the Godhead? Is God addressing the heavenly host when he says it? Is it kind of like a royal plural, but royal plur plural used by a singular actor? Is it a proof text, quote unquote, for the Trinity and so on? I think those are interesting questions, but not super interesting. So I didn't want to take up sermon bandwidth for them. And then also, there's been a ton of ink spilled over the years about whether image and likeness, so God created us in his own image and likeness, how similar or different are they? And so there's a lot of people that think they, they get it, radically different things and 
I don't think that's true. I think the majority opinion says that image and likeness are just kind of a doubling effect. You have mm -hmm. parallelism in Hebrew that right. says the same thing twice. So maybe there's a little variation there. But I've heard a couple sermons deep diving on the differences between image and likeness, and they're boring. Yeah, they're bo I can just picture, I feel like that's the stereotype of the seminary students who are like smoking pipes in a library debating this point. <laughs> <laughs> that's my Which image. is great. Yeah, that's not boring at all. <laughs> not at all. It's Let's just say I've it's fun in the kitchen, if those, not the dining room, been in some with of those, those sorts of sermons. Okay, so can we move on? <laughs> Muddying the waters. <laughs> um, great. Thank you, host, Jim. <laughs> I feel like you don't trust my... <laughs> My hosting abilities, you probably don't. It's well, okay. It's, it's Monday, not a Tuesday, so we're loopy. Yeah, that's probably true. Um, so, yeah, so so back to, I guess, so I led us in the direction of trying to tease out the difficulty of engaging the con the context of racism mm -hmm. um, and the, the celebration of um, every human being made in the image of God, mm -hmm. how that connects to um, how we need to like think about race and racism mm -hmm. um and then you were talking about the i don't know i'm looking at the like how we live out this belief system um like do we live or the yeah back to exceptionalism mm -hmm. versus humans not being exceptional what is it called human exceptionalism right um what it means to like actually live out that practice and how we don't really live that out. Mm -hmm. um, yes. Yeah, so I'll say to that, and I've, this has been a more active reading and thinking and praying and reflecting period for me uh, starting in the summer. Increasingly, I feel that the hole at the center of the secular story, kind of like season one of Westworld, the the hole at the center of things, is that I think for all of our politics, for all of our rhetoric, for all of our strong opinions about lots of different things, the question of who are we and what are we goes unasked. And because it goes unasked, it's assumed, but not really answered and wrestled with. And the fact that we don't have a clear sense of who we are and what we are just makes everything else a lot more complicated. And so, yeah, human exceptionalism. I, you know, pe people will say about abortion, uh, specifically people that are in favor of abortion, they, they don't like the pro-choice versus pro-life language because they think that it's, the idea is that it privileges the pro-life camp because it implies that, like, not being that way is like you're you're a death like it mm -hmm. it criticizes so the, the human exceptionalism does sound a little like prideful sure. and, and and weird so it, yeah maybe we can workshop a better phrase there but losing sight of the fact that like we're special in god's creation is not designed that idea is not designed to make us looters of the rest of creation but good shepherds and stewards eric is going to talk about that this this coming week and it's actually a really good thing for us as human beings to seek to be loyal to the royal, the image of God that we ourselves embody and then toward towards the other. And once you lose that center on the compass, things get scrambled really quickly. And a, a relatively late addition to the sermon this Sunday was talking about how living away from human exceptionalism is not as livable as it might seem on the surface. So right. either 
at the end of the day, you think, hey, there is specific value in humans. And I'm not, <laughs> even though I'm saying that humans are, are not exceptional, I'm kind of putting my weight and my chips in the human side of the, of right. the table here, just because intuitively, how can we not? But then, and this is a smaller number of people, uh, people that do try to live out the fact that human beings are not exceptional, it, it becomes comically unsustainable. Like mm -hmm. you, you can't kill an ant and you, you know, we'll talk about care for the environment as a positive thing later on in the sermon series, but like you, you box yourself into not being able to do anything that would increase any type of carbon footprint whatsoever and so on. You just become a nervous wreck right. and, and a basket case wrecked with guilt all the time. So another example is we try to deconstruct secularism a little bit that what, what the secular, in this case, more often than not, the secular left that denies human exceptionalism the the premise is that once you embrace this you actually become more free i just don't see it i think it just messes you up mm -hmm. yeah all the more right i mean it to me the i guess we'll discuss or you'll discuss environmental issues later on but mm -hmm. to me it is the honoring of god's creation and honoring of god's image driver that like makes more sense than like everything is does not exact have purpose and to sustain the earth yeah. let's um put humans down yep um in the priority level like it just isn't it is an interesting concept or conceptual but like when you watch it play out or if you think it play the think of the ways it could play out it it um it doesn't totally make sense yep um so yeah these are difficult contexts i feel like you were um making pretty nuanced effort to honor that abortion is a complex issue both medically and personally and politically sure. um, that there might be people in the congregation who differ from you or who have experienced abortion themselves yep um that like that it's complicated so mm -hmm. that's that was a hard a hard thing to do a hard thing to like how did you feel as you were trying to construct your points on this topic well i felt both nervous and settled so sure. nervous because this is such a hot button topic settled i mentioned briefly in the sermon that i went back and did some reading and research just to make sure that i'm i'm fresh in mm -hmm. thinking about abortion from a variety of perspectives and i tried to be explicit in the sermon that in a lot of parts of the current ongoing discussion about it there are a lot of complexities but when i go back to the scriptures it's pretty clear to me. Mm -hmm. So there is complexity on one hand, but clarity on the other. It's one of those things where for pro-life side of scriptural interpretation, there are like passages that you point, like it, it, it's, a, it's a pretty short paper at the end of the day, mm -hmm. but then taking the scripture seriously as the word of God, but then coming to a pro-choice position, that paper is a lot longer because right. it just takes a lot more gymnastics and finagling to try to get there. So, so part of it is when it comes to scriptural interpretation, uh, Occam's razor, where you know, a simpler interpretation probably makes more sense and does more justice to the text than, than, than the opposite. But it, but it's really hard. So, so I tried to like allow nuance and balance also between freedom of conscience, but then also say your freedom of conscience needs to be bounded by the scriptures. So it's not my words, but it is, it is the, the words of scripture. And I think this is an opportunity 
and you mentioned it already, to practice a third-way walk and worldview. And a little inside baseball once again here. So as I mapped out the sermon series, this sermon originally was going to be about the image of God and abortion, and racism was going to be tackled a couple weeks from now. The two reasons why I moved up racism to this sermon is because I think it matches this passage better. Like I did want to talk about it at some point this fall to keep conversations going and just to kind of keep it on the burner from Mm -hmm. our Lenten sermon series and and emphasis. I think all things being equal, it made more sense here to begin with, but then also it did create a nice balancing effect where I think to be a resilient disciple of Jesus who takes the scripture seriously and is emboldened not to fully align with the political left or the political right. It just makes sense to me that a Christian ought to be both anti-racist and anti-abortion. Right. So, so so, there was an intentional intentional balancing there. And just to go back to the idea about why, why again, are we going in some of these political directions? I, I mentioned during the sermon, so like Texas is on fire with, with yeah, abortion yeah. stuff right, right now. I wanted to be clear that I wasn't chasing those headlines one right. one way or another. But then whether this or other topics down, coming down the pike, there are going to be more headlines. Right. So consider a sermon like this to be preemptive discipleship or something right. like that, where, where as new developments come down the pike, you have a little bit more of a set of biblical bearings that you can bring to bear on what you see in the headlines. And I think that... I appreciated you kind of being upfront and starting with also the the common critique of people who are um, are uh, pro-choice who would say the people who are strongly anti-abortion or mm-hmm. pro-life um, neglect to support the single mother. The, right. Like yep. they ne- neglect to serve the poor mm-hmm. in the ways that they say they do. Um, but right. that like even if it's not actual like there's i can think of any number of um churches who are like strongly pro-life who wouldn't say like oh we we don't reject the um, yeah the widow or the shunning and the shaming the the teenage mom or the um but there is like an undercurrent of um non-spoken uh exclusion and rejection that for sure is built it's a new scarlet letter to this society's culture so that of course that woman who wouldn't want to have a baby in the context of not having supports or not having financial supports or yep. like um help raising a, a child or knowledge or access to a, a adoptions mm-hmm. and so i think that addressing that um a lot of people who are strongly anti-abortion or pro-life mm-hmm. um aren't necessarily embracing the full the fullness of scripture like you're saying and addressing yeah. that Racism is a big part of this um, societal, socioeconomic disparity, mm-hmm. poverty, um, hunger are all part and wrapped into this passage. And so that's the thing that I, I definitely see as partially true in the mm-hmm. cr- critique against people who are pro-life. Yeah. So every Christian, all Christians might think in their own mind that they're incorporating the whole counsel of God mm-hmm. and, and how they think of, of any set of issues. And, you know, I'm sure I have my own blind spots, whether it's scriptural interpretation or otherwise. But for churches that, that can be strongly, strongly, strongly pro-life, like you said, but then also 
be deniers to say that abortion has anything to do with racism and justice issues, deny that abortion has anything to do with women's rights, anything to do with poverty and cycles of poverty and exploitation. On down the line, uh, like, in your mind, you might say, well, I'm, I'm being bold and standing on the scriptures, but you're actually not standing on all the scriptures. You're, you're, you're being a one-issue voter right. in terms of saying, we're, we're going to take this one position, but not live out the call of the gospel in all of the other ways that, that we should. Right. So I think that was, that was good and important, but then the ultimate um, ethical point, and not ultimate, that's the wrong thing, but the, the actual position of um, aborting... Um, uh, in utero, like you can call it whatever, fetus, mm-hmm. baby, um, yeah. that that's, uh, that's really just hard to like, it's hard to make that ethical jump without a lot of hoops. Yep. Yeah. And going back to the tone issue once more, um, so I got zero feedback from this sermon <laughs> so far, um, uh, I heard so, one positive comment uh, from you after. Oh, actually, that's true. I, you got I, some support. Yeah, I, I did get one, yeah. and so, uh, but I haven't heard. I have. I, I haven't heard a lot either way. Whether or not somebody's on board with what I articulated, either regarding racism or abortion, this past Sunday, I do hope and pray that Liberty Collingswood, and this is part of our Christian witness in this moment of time, is that we can model being a space of unpoisoned discourse where like civil humble ways of engaging with people that have different views and you know i think this could actually be a ministry to a world where it is shouting matches all the time but Mm -hmm. i feel the the poison context with both of these issues A, a couple of examples recently there was an article i think in this month's Atlantic magazine by Ann Applebaum talking about the illiberalism of campuses and workplaces where if you're, and this was a little bit kind of more saying like, what are some unintended consequences of, of me too type stuff, but whether it's how you comport yourself sexually and relationally with other people, or if you're associated with anybody for any reason that has a view considered out of mainstream and these are secular academies so mainstream left like you can be fired uh like automatically and so it is this operation game where it's illiberal if classic liberalism is free speech and exchange of ideas uh, we're losing that as a society maybe the church can be one of those places where we bring it back and even specifically with abortion i don't know did did you see the the question that jen saki Biden's press secretary was asked about Biden's position on abortion. No. So to me, it just encapsulates what a pressurized environment all of this is. So I actually, you know, so I I saw this just a 12 second clip. So this is, this is me contributing (laughs) to contextless culture wars, I guess. But so there was some reporter, I don't know what the press briefing was about, who asked Jen Psaki, how can President Biden, as a Catholic, likewise be pro-choice himself, since it goes against right. the teachings of, of the Catholic Church? So, super ta- tacky question, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. Like, Jen Psaki is not there to talk about Biden's... Political and religious. Right. Con- right. Yeah, and 
come, come on, buddy. Like, like it's, it's just a headline grabbing question. And I guess it did grab a headline because I saw a headline mm-hmm. and watched a 12 second clip about it. So super tacky and mean question. Jen Psaki, for her part, said, basically, how dare you even ask that question because you're a man and you've, 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 have you ever been pregnant? Will you ever be, be pregnant? Why are you even talking about these things? Right. And that, that raises alarms for me in the other direction where, yikes, we're, we're so galvanized in whatever direction where even like having a conversation requires a lot of energy and work because we're just so backed into our own corners and think right. if, if you're not already here, like this is off limits. Yeah, I did kind of wonder like would will you be taken out of context as in like will you will someone pull out from this congregation because and then say oh Jim is just anti-abortion and yeah. like someone won't give Liberty Collingswood a chance because they haven't heard the nuanced way that I think you've presented the issue sure um, or beliefs about this issue but so I don't, yeah I don't know and I would say might I interest you in a third way walking worldview <laughs> um so yeah do you want to do you want to move on to our band cover tunes or yeah do, that's all I got to? okay um references you did mm. have a couple at the end you and you reference what if <laughs> you were using you made it as a reference you did you were trying to talk about something more serious reference and a rhetorical device I were you watching what if without me last night with clara yeah i thought so. what if i was i thought so you're right i i don't really care that much um but you know you could have asked i'm sorry <laughs> uh you were talking about about oh you started with a a very a floppy joke with Ben Simmons comparing Ben Simmons to Wilt was it Wilt Chamberlain who was they're both former 76ers yeah I'm aware of that were they, they and they're both from Overbrook no the connection no Chamberlain's from 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 Overbrook uh not Simmons Simmons is Australian so but yeah they're the commonality the common denominator was that they're both former 76ers yeah. Did you say that joke was floppy? Yeah, there's no, there's no, but you got no reaction. And then you like. Did oh, the, as in it flopped. You did the comment. I thought you meant like flaccid. Oh, you well, basically the same thing. So then yeah. you like, then you made the commentary. You did the meta connected back to <laughs> like one of the things that you are standing by, even though it flopped. Yep. Got to commit to the bit. That's still, what I do. Still. What, what's happening to Ben Simmons? He's still there. Like nothing is happening. Uh, yeah, nothing. nothing yeah, is that happening. that that pause the that you heard start? was was me <laughs> enacting what's actually happening, <laughs> namely nothing. Nothing behind the scenes. You don't have an inside scoop yet. Um, I'm working my sources. Okay, so you had a lot of like random. You like, Judge Judy was one. Judge Judy, Bongo um, the gorilla. <laughs> did you ever watch Judge Judy? Does that? I feel like your mom would have watched Judge Judy. No, no, she was she was Jeopardy, so she was on the Jeopardy okay. end of the spectrum, not yeah, not I just Judy. I thought both, but okay, no, they're not the same target audience. So sometimes my household felt like Judge Judy. <laughs> Maybe that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> um, you quote, then you started quoting like other people who were just more random, like Seneca, Word you know, Salad, yep, uh, Christopher Hitchens, right? I don't know any of those that you want to highlight. So the the Seneca was talking about the census divinitatis. Everybody has a sense of God that I believe comes from the image of God. Contemporary Yale professor observing that as people are rejecting 
traditional organized religion, they're still reaching out for alternative ways to engage with the supernatural. That's image of God. Jamar Tisby talking about in color of compromise how the church has been complicit in lynchings in the south during jim crow and then the 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 two most interesting ones to me were christopher hitchens and and peter singer so i'm breaking a little bit of rules you don't want to introduce new ideas and new authors that late in the sermon as a rule but i did it anyway so deconstructing asking what if secularism is is not as self-consistent as it as it seems on the surface. And so Hitchens, not a person of faith, a deeply secular person, but would come back to the progressive left and and say, are we sure that it makes sense for somebody on the left of the political spectrum to so necessarily and automatically be pro-choice? And, you know, he didn't make a lot of friends from from that. He he was also an iconoclast, so he didn't really care about not making friends or not. Mm -hmm. But then just as terrifyingly if not more so peter singer who advocates for a woman's a woman's right not only to terminate unborn life that she's creating but also born life so not only abortion but also infanticide right under certain under a lot of different circumstances should be considered ethically fine and okay and just trying to say those are those are actually more consistent in my opinion with what you encounter more typically yeah it's it, it's something you have to kind of work through to like, or sometimes people just decide to be inconsistent. <laughs> like True. myself. Yeah, no, which, yeah, that is, that's fair, but yeah, it, I, it is going to be a consistent dance move going right. through the fall where, hey, people need to own where they are. Right, right. And work out the implications. Okay, moving on. Guitar Slim Pickens. Mm-hmm. Um, anything you wish you could redo? Stories behind the sermon? So, forgot the reference to Genesis 127 being poetry. That that was a bummer. Another thing that I forgot, um, I mentioned to hear at the beginning of the sermon. Uh-huh. And part part of this, these sermons are really long anyway. So I I don't have don't have unlimited time for sure. my little references and callbacks. But the connection with to hear and us once we moved to Philly is that to hear was at the school that you taught. So he graduated from oh, right, right. from yeah. the school in philly in west philly that you ended up teaching at so that was a nice inclusio too not sure where to hear is he was a great guy i hope he's doing okay listening to the sermon i'm or this podcast i'm sure you know if i ever do meet him again and and this isn't just you know perp walk for the cameras like if i ever meet him again i will definitely apologize for that yeah for that provision uh, talk that i gave also and this doesn't relate to the sermon before after church yesterday, people may have seen me in sunglasses and a fedora. So it was fun this this Sunday. So Pat is our new digital ministry director. We're filming bits. That the fedora is fine as a bit, but also <laughs> just fine. Like, but it's because like now, like it's so I've been arguing against Jim and Hats for like twenty years. I still would say... As I'm looking at Emily right now, behind her are four different fedoras. Oh, Oh, they look glorious. 10 or 20 years ago... Picturing them on my head. fedora was Wearing them. Like, was was Jim trying to dress up as something that he wasn't? Yeah. But, like, now you are that person. (laughs) So it is more authentic. (laughs) Hats are aspirational. That's the takeaway. It's a little bit Become the fedora. It takes decades. It's in now. So, like, it, it kind of circled back. I, 
I don't know. I don't know what you were drawing from. Before. It was probably like New Orleans South that I, yeah. But now it's like hipster metro. So. Men in hats. <laughs> Everybody's doing it. So I'm okay with that, the fedora. Um, although Clara stole it for her bit. Yes. And unfortunately, the bit that I recorded with Clara, I hear, didn't turn out from a sound perspective. So it was after church and everybody was in the courtyard. So it was hard to hear. Mm-hmm. But the, just, just, so, just so people know what, what, what it was going to be, it was me talking about pres- Represence Initiative with Clara and her thing. What, so I asked her, hey, Jersey Jim reporting on the Represence Initiative at Liberty Collingswood. What do you think of the Represence Initiative? And Clara was like, I don't know. I don't care. It doesn't make any sense to me. So there was that. And then we cut. And then Clara's on a bench wearing the fedora and sunglasses. And I come and sit by her. And she looks at the camera and says, I asked for a car. I got a fedora. Then she turns to me and says, these look so much better on me. (laughs) That was authentic. Yeah. 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 It's true. I, I mean, I scripted it. (laughs) (laughs) i script us authenticity um thanks for joining us it was a little longer we had lots to unpack today um if you're still here thank you again um thanks for listening we Mm -hmm. always appreciate uh notes and feedback so that we're able to engage you guys yeah got got one little bit of howl and wolf from this past week yvonne texted to say that one of my references was incorrect from last week oh shocking but this is a great opportunity for me to be able to say once again what happened so the the reference was from a the incorrect christopher guest movie i said that it was from best in show but it was actually from mighty wind and in my opinion best in show is probably a better movie than a mighty wind but for the second week in a row, I've done been fact-checked. <laughs> what happened? <laughs> okay. I think, uh, yeah, if you have more feedback like that, you are welcome to throw it to Jim. He's apparently acknowledging other people's he's, <laughs> other people's criticisms of him. He's howling wolves. <laughs> I'll, I'll have They're to like write wolves. up. I might write my own, not about your sermons, but from an anonymous emailer. <laughs> I, I will say too, baby, that this past week was our biggest week ever in terms of downloads. Yeah, so, if, if it's accurate. Gosh, you're such a self-saboteur. <laughs> or sorry, a spouse saboteur. <laughs> so anyway, let, let, let me say again, great week of downloads, everybody. Keep liking, sharing, and subscribing. We appreciate it. Yeah, with that, how was it? That was amazing. Thanks so much for joining us. This has been the Post-Sunday Blues, a preaching post-mortem, a production of Liberty Collingswood. Go ahead, rate, review, and subscribe, and you can find all things Liberty Collingswood at libertycollingswood.org. No more Post-Sunday Blues. Here comes some pre-Sunday happy. Wonderful. Yeah, well, today but I we have, have more recorded. things to do. Yeah. We have had to record the entire podcast before. We should fire the producer. I don't remember that time. <laughs> Did we really? Uh, yeah. Hmm. Well, I'm 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 glad it's been wiped. <laughs> <laughs>